Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is the Court Today replay on C103. I'm hoping we find everybody in good form this morning. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. 1850 333 103. Jump all takes the calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. I mentioned when I was on with Simon teeing up the programme in the last half hour about the complaints that have been received to county councils all over the country to do with farmers spreading slurry. So we want to open up this discussion uh, this morning. About 250 complaints have been made. And this is nationwide, so it isn't that many in the scheme of things. And that's over the last two, two years. People do complain to Cork County Council. Why do they complain? The obvious one is the smell. They don't like the smell and they decide they'll make a complaint. Now, another reason that people complain is to do with road conditions following slurry spreading. And I suppose if a farmer leaves a road condition in a dangerous state following the spreading of slurry I suppose it's only right and proper that somebody makes a complaint to the council in the hope that the council will either get the farmer to sort it out or the council themselves comes out and and sorts it uh, out Would I be right in saying that the majority of farmers would be very careful about that and would if they did leave a mess that they would get out and sort it out and clean it up as quickly as possible but I suppose you'll always get the rogue ones who'll decide oh, should I leave it like that and there'll be a bit of rain on the way and that will uh, sort it out. Now when we look dig down deeper into the figures because I saw these figures I said I wonder how many people have complained in uh, Cork there's been 19 formal complaints about slurry either the smell or road conditions they don't, I don't, can't get a breakdown of was it smells or was it road conditions people complained about. But 19 have been made here in Cork so far this year. And uh, last year there was 27. Now, if there's 19 already, we assume that that figure will get higher, whether it will go higher than the 27 who made formal complaints uh, last year. And I take it to make a formal complaint, you put your name to it and everything so the neighbours will know you've been complaining about the smell. So I wonder, while people will contact us here in the radio station, and they'll give out about a farmer spreading slurry. And then we will inevitably get a farmer defend it and say, I can't do much about it. I have to spread it. The, you know, there's this period of time in which you can spread slurry. The conditions are right for it. We will also and have heard from farmers who say they've contacted their neighbours to let their neighbours know because there is nothing worse than you put out a load of washing on a nice, fine, dry day to discover that the farmer, your neighbour, the farmer is going to spread slurry in your neighbouring field and then the smell and the washing has to come in and you have to do it all over again. And I, can, I really can sense people's frustrations with that. But do if you live in a rural area, will, your, will the farmer tell you when they're spreading slurry? Or are they just too busy? They just have to get on with their work and that's it. So the whole issue around spreading slurry and the fact that people make complaints, does it surprise you that people make complaints or are they just wasting their time? Because I don't know if anything can be done. I mean, particularly when it comes to the smell. I really, as I say, I can understand road conditions. If a farmer leaves the road conditions in a, in a dangerous state, 
that's only right and proper that a complaint is put in because that could cause an accident and ultimately could, could kill somebody or injure somebody. So I can understand that. But I really am taken aback to think that anyone will pick up the phone to ring their local council to complain about the smell from Slurry. Your thoughts on that please 1850 and let's see if we can get a balance between the people who complain versus the people who are involved in the work of spreading the slurry and really what are they to do. You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Also coming up on the programme this morning Problems with the register of electors. Now, we have had elections last month. We had our locals, we had the Europeans, the referendum. And if you're in the city, we had the plebiscite. So people went to the polling stations. We got calls in, as we do every time there's an election, from usually the days leading up to it. People saying, didn't get my polling card. Always get my polling card. Why hasn't my polling card arrived? We always say to people, you know, Check the register of electors. If your name is on it, whether your polling card arrived or not, you are entitled to a vote. I can never quite understand, though, how that happens, that a polling card doesn't arrive when your name is on the register of electors because we take it that they they send them out based on the register of electors. Now, maybe it's just a... And they look like they're computer-generated the way, the way they arrive. Maybe it's just some error with the computer. I, I never can fully understand that. We will get a call in from people saying my name was taken off the register of electors for no known reason. People who've been on the register for many, many years didn't move. Nothing's changed. Circumstances are exactly the same. And suddenly when they go to vote, oh, sorry, you're not on the register. And of course, if you're not on the register, you're not on the register. And that means you can't vote. No point taking it out on the people in the polling stations. So we've had the first meeting of Cork County Council and seemingly one of the topics that was discussed was the issue of problems with the register of electors. So we take it from that, that all of the councillors that got elected must have come across problems and heard from people because that's what people will do. They will contact their local council, particularly when it comes to a local election, they contact their local councillor to say, I was trying to vote, wasn't able to vote or, you know, this happened to me. So we're going to discuss that. So we'd be interested in hearing from you. Did you or a member of your family have any problem when you went to vote this year? Did your polling card not show up? Were you still entitled to a vote? Or were you one of those people who really wanted to vote and then went down to discover your name had been taken off the register? So if you have a story to share with us, 1850-333-103. I can already see that the lines have been busy this morning. And so apologies if you're not able to get through. Do have, have patience with us. You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 and request a call back when the lines are a little less busy as well if you want to do it uh, that way. Domiciliary carers allowance. Anyone that has a special need child will know what the domiciliary carers allowance uh, is others won't I, I very much accept that there is to be a review of the domiciliary carers uh, allowance and there are a group they're an online platform I think they originally set up as a Facebook they're called the DCA Warriors and they're a great little group that started out very small and they have gained momentum I think they have about 22,000 members now So that will tell you 22,000 families who are receiving a domiciliary carer's allowance. And they're very annoyed about this idea of a review because families who've got a special needs child have enough going on without facing this onslaught of more paperwork or having to attend appointments because there's a review of their child. And many of them will say that their child has a disability that can't change. You know, you would think in some way that, you know, when 
somebody gets allocated an allowance and by the way it isn't a huge sum of money it's a monthly payment it isn't a massive amount but when somebody gets an allowance like that for a disability that can't change wouldn't you assume that there would be some kind of a mark put on the file so that when they do decide to do reviews of children who perhaps have complaints that do improve and therefore the family don't need to be getting the domiciliary carers allowance that they're the ones the go for review but to kind of do this blanket review and just pick out I think it's 100 a month or 100 a week they're going to start uh, doing and pe- families that were say already under pressure it just seems very very unfair and it's because of a situation that happened in 2012 that the DCA warriors were set up so we'll speak with them on the programme today it is Father's Day next Sunday gentle reminder to you if you're lucky enough Uh, And I say lucky enough because I lost my dad when I was very, very young. So I never really got as a child to celebrate Father's Day. I never really got Father's Day as a child. So if you are lucky enough to have your father in your life, then celebrate them on Sunday. It doesn't always have to be about the biggest and most expensive present. There's lots of things that you can do just to make your dad feel special and to feel appreciated. We're going to be talking about what makes for a good dad on the programme today. And we'll welcome your thoughts and comments on that. And I was thinking when I was putting together the uh, research for this piece that I'm going to be doing at about 20 past 11 today. Now, maybe I'm wrong on this. Is Father's Day not as big a deal as Mother's Day? And if that's the case, why? There always seems to be much more hype around Mother's Day. And certainly when you're out and about in shops, you know, you'll see Mother's Day flagged well in advance and there'll be loads of suggestions of things you can do for Mother's Day. And then Father's Day rolls around in June. And while you see signs, you know, don't forget your father, just to me, maybe, you know, and maybe it's the fact that I lost my dad when I was so young that it's not on my radar, even though we have a dad in the family and who has to be looked after and will be looked after. So maybe that's the reason. But anyway, I'd be interested in that. Do you think Mother's Day is a bigger event than uh, Father's Day? There's a couple of festivals then we want to talk about on the programme today. There's a new festival going to happen in Bandon. Don't think it's happening until August. The reason we're mentioning it now, there's a fundraiser going on because obviously new festival to get it off the ground, you need funding. So they're doing a different kind of a fundraiser. It's a, a climb of carrying Coron Tool. I know people say, should lots of people climb Coron Tool for a fundraiser? The gang that are doing it are doing it slightly different and we'll find out more. And then tomorrow, one of what I think is the sweetest festivals and the gorgeous festival that goes on for the last number of years in Clonakilty is the Clonakilty Street Carnival. And it's the one where they pedestrianise the main street through Clonakilty and they lay out these huge, big, big, long table. Well, they join tables together and it makes it look like one big, long dining table. And they have a, a street dinner party. It's a terrific idea. Really, really terrific. That's happening tomorrow. And uh, we'll be giving you details if you'd like to go along and you haven't got your tickets uh, yet. So that and more on the programme. Your thoughts welcome. A lot of calls and texts coming in on the spreading of slurry and the fact that people complain to the local council and the complaints relate to both the smell and the road conditions following the spread of slurry. Some of your calls in. Uh, Jerry says, the smell of slurry should become a thing of the past. There's new technology on the way where on the back of the tanker, the slurry is spread down as opposed to up in the air. So with that, the smell will be limited. Farmers are also getting the best value from their slurry by spraying it this way. So a lot of farmers are investing in this new technology. The thing is, it is so much in demand. It's going to be two to three years before all farmers have this technology. And then the spread and the smell 
of slurry and the complaints about it will be a thing of the past says Ger, who sounds like he's a man in the know Michael says I've no problem with the spreading of slurry my issue is the spreading of slurry around home water tanks and water supplies. According to Michael, there are no regulations for this. There's a limit of how near a boundary you can spread, but no, none if farmers spread over a water well. I feel that is wrong. So for that reason, I would complain. Dorothy in East Cork says, I've no problem with slurry or the smell of it, but I do have a problem with how near the slurry is spread to one's house. Surely there is no need to practically spread the slurry into somebody's backyard or garden if their house borders a field. Common sense is needed. Some farmers don't seem to have common sense or are just clearly thick. That's a strong word, Dorothy. If they think they can just spread slurry behind somebody's back garden, rules are needed for this. So you do have an issue about the problem of slurry and the smell because somebody in your area is spreading it too close to your house. Thank you for that, uh, Dorothy. The people who complain, this is from Mike, the people who complain about slurry have a very short memory because during the bad weather, if a tree falls, I remember when we were under a blanket of snow, who came to the rescue? It was your local farmers. People have very short memories. And yet when the farmer is trying to do his work during the slurry spreading season, people will complain. But in the wintertime or during a storm, when you need those farmers to come out and farmers are fantastic in an emergency or a crisis uh, like that. So people have short memories, says Mike. Stop complaining. And some of your texts, farmers never tell neighbours when they are spreading their slurry. And on another subject, it's the silage crews. They drive recklessly on our roads with no regard for the safety of others. At times, I feel it's like they are showing uh, off. Again, when you say farmers never tell their neighbours when they spread slurry, you're wrong there because we would have heard over the years from people to say we're very nice neighbours and they'll always tell us when we're, they're going to spread slurry so we can close the windows or make sure that the washing isn't out. So again, you can't give a blanket thing saying all Absolutely, there will be a percentage of farmers who don't tell their neighbours. They're just out and spreading the slurry and that's it. And farmers will probably defend that saying, we're too busy. We're going to have to spend all our time running around the neighbourhood or ringing uh, and letting people know we don't have any choice. We have to get out and spread it when the conditions are right and when we're in the spreading slurry season. While you're on about, thanks for your text, while, we're, while you're on about smells, says another texter, there's often an absolute stink from the very expensive sewerage treatment plant in Clonakilty, which happens to be right next to the wonderful model railway village. Of course, if the council had contacted, they will deny, deny, deny and say they will just look into it. I have been in little parking area several times and got the smell. I've given up walking along that road past the plant and I now take my car well out beyond it. It's a lovely area but I'm not happy with the operation of the plant and the smells that are coming from it. Have other people noticed that? Okay, the the new ex- expensive, it was expensive, sewage treatment plant in Clonakilty. Are there certain times that there's a smell or is this listener reckoning there's a smell there all the time? Is it one of those things at a sewage treatment plant because of the nature of what it is doing? Sewage treatment, will there always be some type of a smell? But the fact that it's next to the model village, the model railway village, if it was very bad, surely they'd be getting lots and lots of complaints. I'm wondering, is it only at certain times of the year 
the day, the week, the month, I don't know. Anybody else notice that in and around the Clonakilty area, a smell from the sewerage treatment plant. 1850 333 103 and one final text that Douglas Lister said, could you please ask the politician who left plastic ties and a board on a pole in Donnybrook Hill in Douglas to please remove them. At the first meeting of the newly elected Cork County Council, the issues of errors with the electoral register were raised with the claim that there's nearly more dead people on it than the living. Fine Gael Councillor Kevin Murphy uh, raised the issue and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Kevin. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, firstly, congratulations on your re-election. It's our first opportunity to talk to you. So congratulations you on that. Now, every time yeah. we have an election, we will get calls saying somebody's name has been, was removed in error from the register. How does that actually happen? It's very hard to understand, Patricia, for a start off, because um, at some cases when we raise that inside, privately inside in the franchise office, they would say that the person uh, has been reported as being dead or as being moved or some reason, um, some reason is given uh, by that particular person and effectively they are um, notified, supposed to be, uh, in the post that their um, name has been removed from the register uh, and have they any objection to it. If they get no response, then effectively that means that they're, re- they're automatically removed. I think it's a, a city system, it's a... Um, it's been adjudicated wrong. But there are whole pieces of other parts and parcel of that register as well, which we have found dreadful faults in. Now the, um, and polling cards arriving in a dead person's name can be extremely upsetting. Is who is it up to a family to inform the register that a loved one has passed away? In the normal course of events, yes, uh, but uh, at times gone by, we used to have people who would come to a local person or a local representative and ask them to go through the register of electors for them uh, to knock off those who are uh, deceased, those people who have moved on, or those people who are 18 and over to be um, to be added onto that particular register. And that was the case for years and years. It hasn't happened now for a long number of years, and we see... The absolute, it's an absolute fiasco to see some of that register of three and four people add three or four people's names for the same person on board. Do you uh, believe this is the yeah. worst you've ever seen this time it around? It is, and it's getting, it's getting worse actually, Patricia, because I've seen, uh, not alone my own area, because I go through my own register pretty well, and even even with the best will in the world, you'll miss some people, um, whether they're over 18 or whether they have been deceased, or some people you just forget about um, year on year. And you just miss somebody. But in other areas um, where I know quite well, I've seen them on some registers as well, that uh, people have been on um, and have been um, on three and four times. The same person's name has been on three or four times and other people have been knocked off for some unknown reason we don't even know. Well, is that just a a computer error that somebody's name would pop up three or four times on the register? I don't think so. I don't think so. That's not that wouldn't be the case because, in actual fact, this is this wouldn't be the first time it happened. Or I know some one person gone to me recently as well, where they said that this has happened and has happened in the past as well. There's no and there's no change occurred in the meantime. And do they get multiple polling cards? Yes, they do. Some people oh. do, and yeah, and it's, it's, and again, so, as you point out, some people get none at all. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, does and that's that's not that wouldn't be our 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 fault as such. But overall, Petrochet needs an absolute and total overhaul to make sure that the, the the people who are entitled to vote 
uh, do is stay on the register of electors and are not removed for any, any good reason. And those who are 18 and over, those who are deceased, should be locked off and all those. So really and truly, we really want to get we really want to get, get a grip to it and total overhaul of the register of electors should take place without delay. And what it was, I'm sure it was Councillor Governor Moynihan who shared a story of family members being asked to vote in different polling stations from the same address. That's a very unusual case. It is quite unusual to see that happening, I must say, because they're, they're pretty accurate in the, in, the, in the actual address in the normal course of events. But, you know, yeah, mistakes do uh, mistakes do happen and mistakes are made. And um, it, it, like it's, it seems to me as if, um, as if you know, we have neglected, and I'm saying this now quite distinctly, we have neglected the, the, um, the register of electors for several years. I remember distinctly, um, we used to have a collector called William Murphy, God rest his soul, he did know. But he was an absolute genius at the register. He, he was meticulous about that register of electors. And um, he used to come to my house as well as other houses as well and just inquire from them mm. um, as to the neighbours next door as to who should be on and who should be off. And he was absolutely top class. Yeah, I'm trying to even think the last time. It's, it's got to be 20 years ago was the last time somebody called to my door to say, just checking the register of electors, who's in, who's out. And that's yep. easily 20 years ago. Well, in some cases, um, we had people up to five and six, maybe eight or seven, seven or eight years ago doing that the exact job in around here as well, the same way. But that has stopped now. And you know, I suppose in fairness, Patricia, we should look as well. The South know they were paid very, very, very poorly. Um, There's a kind of a not such a nice job because it was you have to go through fairly detailed with each individual to see are they on or off. They must post a little... A little note in people's doors saying a card and you weren't there, and that you want this to be changed or that to be changed. That is kind of um, gone by the board now, and uh, effectively we don't have anybody doing that anymore. And I think the register like showed that distinct problem, um, which existed up the last four or five years, is continuing and, and in the actual fact, disimproving every year. But isn't there a responsibility on all of us to check the electoral register to make sure we're registered? There is. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're available at gather stations, at the county council offices, post offices and everybody else as well. They're freely available. Of course, they're really online as well. Mm. And people can do it online and they can check them um, any time of the year they wish. And there's no question, there is an onus on us to ensure that that, that your own your own um, franchise area is kept in order. And if there are changes to be made by our family, um, whether they be at 18 plus, um, or they have been deceased members of the family, it's the onus on us to go and deal with that by right. Because it's, ve- it's very disappointing for somebody who's voted all of their lives to not get a polling card and, and, and anyone that contacted us who didn't get a polling card, we kept saying to them, well, you know, check the register and if you can't check the register, go to the polling station anyway. More than likely your name is is on the register. But we did hear back from, from some people who said, no, I was, I was taken off. And people bitterly disappointed that they weren't allowed to vote. Yeah, well, the advice, of course, that you gave there was quite right because um, some people don't get polling sta- polling cards, and you only go to the polling station, and you will. Your you name is still there. You are quite entitled to vote. There's yeah. No question about it. Yeah. Of course, I... Patricia, the other side of it would be um, some indication I made above it wasn't recorded or such, but uh, one method I would see was is would be quite a, a, a responsible one to deal with is there's a census comes out every five years. It's yeah. the exact census of the of the entire community uh, in Ireland. And I think this is an Irish it's an, an Irish issue. It's not a local issue as I could see it as an, uh, it is a total national issue. 
Um, and that synthesis is absolute accurate from top to bottom. Um, it shows details of the age. It shows details of those deceased, of those who have been, um, who have been, who have, you know, who have been moved uh, from place to place. That's exact, and it should be de- from once every five years. That would be a total checkup of the actual register itself by dealing with that. That's that's, that's a good suggestion because even if you're out of the country on census night, you still fill in a form to say that you were out of the country. So you'd still be, that would be a great way of doing it. Now, whether the CSO would be interested in getting involved in that side of it is another thing. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, I don't know whether they can legally get involved that way, but it is an an exact register of electors, if you don't mind saying so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that would get over the uncertainty for stepped off, but also it would allow um, uh, people who um, want to change or there's some method of changing within five years. It, once every five years, at least anyway, we'd have an exact register at that stage, and we could easily enough um, improve it from there on in uh, on an annual basis. Okay. You know, that's and, and do you have any explanation as to why some people didn't get polling cards, even though their, na- their name was on the register of electors? I think that was probably the biggest number of complaints we got. Was it a polling was, card. and uh, we have no way of checking that. And we, there seemed to be no excuse for it. They just say, "Well, they were missed in the numbers or missed in, in the and in, in the um in the, the the you know the draft part of it." As such, we have no we have no idea why that should happen okay. because there is there shouldn't be uh, any person who is on that register. Every single person should get a polling card. And yeah, because people I think just feel a little bit more secure when their card arrives because they know they're definitely on the register and they feel happier heading off to vote. Yeah. Okay, yeah, uh, so course, if you look if you look at it from from our point of view as well, um, is is it is any is any small wonder why there's such a low turnout in really in elections, whether it be local elections, European elections, or um, general elections, whatever the case may be. If, if for the argument's sake, people don't get a polling card, that, that's first example. Well, I got no polling card, so effectively, that's an excuse I won't go. You know, mm-hmm. so <clears throat> we, we really have to ensure that the, 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 as many people that are on the register, as many people who are entitled to vote, should be should get the polling card, and they should be entitled to go and vote as well. And uh, it really also, and I mentioned this earlier, it also now maybe I'm just a nerd when it comes to election. I love all the number crunching, but you know when we hear fifty five percent of people. Voted. That's based on the register of electors. If the register of electors is out, then that figure yes. is wrong. You know, it, they actually could have been a higher proportion voted, but ten percent of, of the people with the multiple names are people who had passed away. Now, I'm just being told that the um, uh, this is from Councillor Grod Murphy, a public consultation that finished up in March about electoral register reform, and the Department of Local Government is looking into reforming it. They closed in March. The reports should be on the way. Online registration was one of the things they looked at. Data protection was another issue. Uh, God, they'll, they'll use yeah. data protection again. It just drives me mad. Every excuse under the sun is. You, it's used to not do something and it's all data protection. All right, okay. So, but an overhaul, an overhaul is needed. An overhaul, but you know, something we're, we're talking about hiding, as I've said, there's a point of this hiding going on in relation to data protection. I know it's a serious issue myself, but I think it's overrated. So it's overused totally as an yeah. excuse not to do something. And I think that's a pity, really, because um, there are ways and means around this and I think we should be ensuring that the, at least anyway, the democratic right of the people who um, are, are in the franchise area they should be entitled to know and get their, their vote they should be entitled to get their polling card and vote in the normal way and I think that's something which we should look up very seriously um, to try and ensure that anybody and everybody who is entitled to vote should get a vote Absolutely, and that's, that's all democratic Absolutely Listen Kevin thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us on the programme 
You're very welcome. Good morning to you. That is uh, Fina Gale, uh, councillor based in Kinsale, uh, Kevin Murphy. This is the Court Today replay on C103. An online organisation which has more than 22,000 members has sent its concern about the Department of Social Protection's plans to recommence reviews of the domiciliary care allowance. Joining me from the Facebook page known as DCA Warriors, I'm joined by Margaret Lennon. Good morning to you, Margaret. Good morning, Trisha. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. Now, for those who don't know what this payment is, could you just explain what is the domiciliary care allowance and who's entitled to it? Uh, domiciliary care allowance is a monthly payment for a child under the age of 16 who has a severe disability and requires ongoing care and attention above that of a child of the same age with no disability. The payment is not means tested. Um, so it's based on the severity of yeah. the disability, really? Absolutely, yes. Not means, and it isn't a huge sum of money at the end of the day? No, it is uh, €309, Euro, which... Yeah. I mean, a month. A month now we're talking about. It's it's, it's Um, a month. Parents wouldn't even guess half of a private assessment for that, you know. Yeah. For their children. Okay, explain why you're concerned about the department, what the department calls routine reviews. Okay. Well, initially the HSE ran the scheme, probably you were aware of that for many years, and was handed over to the Department of Protection, I believe around 2009, could have that year wrong. Anyway, around 2011, we became aware that many parents were being reviewed um, and the payment was removed where they had already qualified. At that time, the majority of the parents being reviewed and the payment removed were parents of children with autism. So we decided to set up a separate forum and DCA Warriors took flight and has grown in in the interim to the 22,000 plus members. In any case, in June 2012, we had a a motion tabled in the Dáil to completely review this DCA scheme that, you know, it was just fairly horrendous because people as well who have children that are severely impacted, um, DCA is actually a gateway payment to carers allowance. So if you um, don't qualify or it's removed, you will lose carers allowance as well. well. And, and I'm it, assuming in order it, to qualify, Margaret, it gets signed off by a doctor. I mean, it isn't just... It does get signed off yeah, by a doctor. Yeah, it isn't just hearsay of a parent ringing no, up saying, no, my no, child is, no. so give me the payment. No, I mean, there's been several instances, unfortunately, of court cases over the years taken where parents had applied, um, refused... Um, refused on appeal, go to court, and they'd be granted it. The numbers actually on DCA appeals, I have them here. So if you apply for DCA last year and were refused and you appealed on appeal, the success rate is 81%. 81? On appeal. That, that is huge. That um, means 81%. I just, they got I, it wrong. They, I got the, yeah, well... Often they would look for more information. Um, a lot of people won't appeal because the the letter will say, you know, your child does. While we appreciate your child has a disability, they don't meet the criteria for DCA. But that can become very difficult to prove in the instance of, we'll say, I'll give two examples. One would be autism. 
the HSE, as we well know, are also being dragged into the courts because the failure, their failure on their statutory duty to provide assessment of need. There's been a huge amount of cases and a lot more pending. Indeed, many of our members have gone into court. and Just trying case, to get an assessment yeah, of need, yeah. In each I, case, um, the judge has ruled that the HSE must carry out in compliance with their statutory duty within a, a short pe- t- time period, the assessment of need. Um, so autism is one. Uh, dyspraxia or developmental coordination disorder. Then we have medical conditions such as Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, um, not diagnosed here. Usually parents are told, oh, well, you know, the child is a bit hypermobile. Um, being a little bit hypermobile or a little bit bendy is not at all the same thing as Ehlers-Danlos absolutely, syndrome. Absolutely. We have, numbers, we have hundreds of people on the site who are parents. Um, one of my own children has it, in fact. But you have a nightmare scenario there there's the potential um, because we cannot expect GPs to have the expertise either to sign off on the new review forms um, as to whether a child with autism has improved, has disimproved. As you say yourself, there is only the, the parents' word in many cases because... The, and is, the, is the, that the format of the review? You get forms out that has to be filled in by your doctor to Well, you see. have to fill it in. Yeah. But there is a, a medical section to be completed by your doctor or if you're lucky enough that your child is, in fact, attending an appropriate specialist... They can sign they it. They can sign it. But, uh, as we well know, I mean, there are hundreds and thousands at this stage, hundreds of thousands of children all over the country. And these are only the ones who appear on wait lists. Um, We have many, many parents who are being told not to bother applying for assessment of need. Uh, And these then are parents who, because their child hasn't had the official diagnosis or hasn't had the assessment of needs, they can't apply for DCA? You can apply, but obviously, and in fairness to the medical officers and deciding officers and the appeals officers in the Department of Social Protection, um, they are well within their rights to request supporting documentation for these applications and often parents won't have them. Yeah. And I know the department say uh, on these reviews that 16% of claims relate to children with conditions who have been recorded as not to be reviewed at at any time. Do you think that figure should be higher? Yes. Put very simply, yes, I do. And again, referring to medical conditions, uh, just one of which is not recognised in Ireland again would be EDS and what usually comes with it, POTS. Uh, Most people do not even have a diagnosis of this, not able to provide documentation to the medical officers. You may have a child so sick they cannot uh, attend school, nothing. And you are in a position where you can be reviewed for that. And that's just a a sample. I know, I know. Same with children with autism in particular. We see a very large number of children in Ireland who are firstly failed by the HSE because they're not given early appropriate diagnosis. How can the parents make informed decisions about their own children if these children are not even assessed and given the diagnosis if it's present? 
And then what we have to remember is, you know, behind all of these children are families desperately struggling just to cope and to get the best for their child. And the last thing they need is a letter in the post saying, you know, this allowance that isn't huge anyway is going to be reviewed. Yeah, I mean, I understand perfectly and we have never in any way suggested that um, review of a social welfare to that, a social welfare payment of any kind should not be reviewed. But it is the format yeah. being used is quite concerning to us. Potentially uh, and inadvertently, families could lose out and what are they to do really if you're in a situation where you're, you have a child who has autism sometimes and we're seeing now for the last good number of years also uh, children with autism in particular are being out of, they're out of school or they're being put on shortened days which is illegal in itself but you know a blind eye has turned to all that here mm. so that means the parent cannot work and yeah. if they lose payment, what are they to do? Really, many parents may have one partner working, um, the other could be on carer's allowance and have taken out a mortgage on the basis of these payments. And And going back to work is is not and is never going to be an option for some of those parents. No, it isn't. Um, I mean, the the carer's allowance itself, um, what we're seeing again for many years, parents who have three or four children with multiple disabilities. And it, again, I come back to autism because it's there on our site. Um, they can apply for DCA for each child, but they will get one full pair, uh, carer's allowance payment and a half rate for a second child and no other payment for any subsequent children. So it is not a lot of money, but is the difference between the parents scraping together a little bit of money maybe to help their child because really they're abandoned here by the state. So that's my personal opinion. And they are abandoned, oh, they are. Uh, Margaret, and they are families that yes. a lot of people don't even realise what's going on in their own neighbourhoods or in their own oh, no, villages don't. and towns because no. families like that are are trapped almost in their own homes because they, they can't go out. I agree with you completely. They're, it's not even almost trapped. They are, they are trapped. trapped. They are. They are. Completely isolated and Occasionally you will see a horrific scenario happen and then, you know, all this nonsense in the media. Why didn't they ask for help? Yeah. <laughs> Please. Yeah. It, it's just... They're horrific. screaming out for help, but nobody's, nobody's listening. You're, they, you're, I mean, you're, a, you're a brilliant organisation and, and I was reading up about you and oh. I, I love the way all of... There's seven administrators. You've never all met in the one place. You do it all from yeah, on your laptops, That's on right. your knees around the country. You are an incredible. And from how small a group you've grown from 800 originally up to 22,500 members, you really are amazing. We will talk again. I've run out of time, uh, Margaret. But listen, thanks a million. Absolutely. And D- DCA Warriors, uh, people can find you on Facebook. OK, Absolutely. listen, pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for joining bye us. Bye bye. Bye bye. Great woman. That is uh, Margaret Lennon and she's got her own battles going on with her own uh, children. Um, if you want to check out their Facebook page and it's a closed group but obviously if you are in that situation 
where you have a child on um, domiciliary care is allowance uh, feel free to contact them DCA at Warriors we've got to take a break we have news at 11 on the way in the next hour we're going to be focusing on fathers because it's Father's Day on Sunday and we're trying to dig out and get to the bottom of what makes for a good father we'll be doing that in the afternoons at 11 You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed I'm taking umbrage to Met Aaron weather forecaster Evelyn Cusack saying that the rain and the miserable start to the summer we're having is going to last into uh, July. Um, the the Met Aaron are saying that the temperatures this time last year had reached highs of 32 degrees. Remember we had that wonderful, wonderful summer last year. But Met Aaron are the very organisation that always say that we can never predict past 10 days. You know when you look at some of the other worldwide weather organisations and they'll be predicting, you know, back in May, they'll say, oh, we're in for a scorch of a summer into July and August. And when you get onto Met Aaron, they say, oh, no, no, we can never predict things like that. We can only predict uh, up to 10 days. So I am not accepting that this rain is going to continue into July. Okay, weather forecast isn't looking good at the moment and it's not looking good for next week. That's the 10 days. I'm hoping at the end of that 10 days the sun will be shining. Tom in Rathgormick was on to us to say there is a poster, there was a poster up for a candidate in the recent elections in Ballyhooley. Now he can't remember who, what what candidate it was but whoever it was came back and took the poster part down but the poster was up on a pallet in Ballyhooley they've left the pallet behind now somebody will be able to remember whose face adorned that pallet in Ballyhooley if you can remember if you let us know we'll put a gentle call through to the person and ask them to go back and get the pallet we've already mentioned earlier about in Douglas in the city there are cable ties still on poles there's a lot of that there's a lot of the cable ties I have to say around the city and county but this pallet needs to be removed from Ballyhooley please does that ring a bell with someone perhaps who went on and is now a sitting councillor maybe an MEP could have been for even though in a rural area like that it probably isn't an MEP it probably was for somebody running for the council Somebody who got a seat, didn't get a seat, I don't know. But just to, let's give it out as a gentle little push to whoever put that pallet up with their lovely smiling face on it. Can you go back and take the pallet down, please? 1850 Own in Cork wants us to stay on council issues because he says, I live in Ducloyne area of what was part of County Cork but now of course is part of Cork City and is under the remit of Cork City Council. The first signs of neglect of our area by our new council has shown its face says Owen. The grass all along Sarsfield has been left uncut since we entered the City Council and I'm wondering have other people who moved from Cork County Council have now come under the auspices of Cork City Council and would have voted the first for the first time for city councillors. Have people noticed that their areas now are not getting the same level of service that they once got when they were under the County Council? There could be just teething problems. Will we allow for it that it's just teething problems? I don't know. But I mean, there's been a lot of grass growth and with the rain that we've been having, we're going to see even more grass growth. So if that area hasn't been cut yet, it'll just continue to get higher. And it just it looks really unkept. Just looks really unkept. When the 
areas haven't been caught. Anybody else noticed that they are feeling a little bit neglected since they moved from the county council into the city council? We'd love to hear from you. 1850-333-103. And can I say thank you? And I'm assuming this came from Frank Toomey Hardware in McCroom because their name is on the text. So we'll take it. It was from somebody uh, in the store sent this on. This is a possible solution to the problem of rabbits in your garden. And we will regularly get questions in for Peter Dowdle when we're doing our gardening feature saying, how can we get rabbits out of the garden? They're destroying it. We often get it into the pet pet section as well. Somebody says what we can do with the wild rabbits that are running amok. And if you've got, if you live in an area with rabbits and they're gorgeous to look at, they're absolutely beautiful to look at and all of that. But if they get into your garden, they can do serious, serious damage. And I have a really good friend of mine whose heart is literally broken for with the the damage that rabbits are doing on his beautiful wife's grave that he's trying to attend and, and, and look nice. And the rabbits are there. It's in, in Darra graveyard just outside Clannacilty. So they, you know, it's not just gardens. They get into graveyards as well and they probably have peace and quiet in a graveyard and they can literally run amok. Anyway, somebody from Frank Toomey's Hardware in McCroom says, problem with rabbits in your garden are in a grave. Great carbolic soap and spread it around the garden. It'll stop the rabbits coming in. There you go. There's a good one for you to try. I know Peter Dowdle uses the one even though he cringes when he says it. If you're friendly with a hairdresser or a barber shop to go and get the cuttings, hair cuttings which obviously they just throw in the bin that seemingly rabbits don't like those but you don't do you, you know your lovely garden with all your beautiful flowers and stuff do you really want hair cuttings all over it probably not carbolic soap could you live with that putting the carbolic soap around your shrubs and your flowers and you don't need to put them around the ones that you know because rabbits are only attracted to certain ones so it's worth a try. Great carbolic soap. And I'd love to hear back from people who give that a try and tell me how you get on. But according to Frank Toomey, hardware in McCroom that I'm assuming sells the carbolic soap because I don't know how many stores sell carbolic soap. The last time we did a shout out for carbolic soap, I remember somebody came on and said Frank Toomey hardware had, had it. And we also got calls in to say that a number of, you know, the, like the, what we affectionately call the pound shops, the discount stores, a lot of them sell carbolic soap. But don't know if you see carbolic soap inside in supermarkets as much as you used to because I just absolutely hate the smell of carbolic soap. It's just one of those soaps that I associate with school days, I think. Not that my school days were bad, but it's just, I hate the smell of it. It's just, but some people swear by it and think it's a, it's a great little soap uh, to buy. So car- great your carbolic soap. Put it out in your garden. And the rabbits, do I take it the rabbits don't like the smell of it either? But you don't want your garden stinking of carbolic soap either. So I'm hoping that that doesn't happen. 1850-333-103. As I say, let us know how you get on with that. And back to the register of electors that we we had on the programme in the last hour with Councillor Kevin Murphy. And the problems was discussed at the first council meeting, the first county council meeting, all of the councillors seemed to have come in and they all had stories to tell of people who had contacted them who either had problems voting or they were on the list multiple times or the most bizarre one of people in the one household 
still on the register for lectures but we were sent to different polling stations even though they're all coming out of the one address and then the one that always comes up people who have deceased and even though families went to the bother of getting their names removed from the register of electors and a polling card arrives and that can be so, so upsetting for families. Kevin in Black Rock on the suggestion that Kevin Murphy had of using the census Kevin says he reckons that won't work and he's using his own example as to why it won't work. He was taken off the register of electors because he was renting for a period of time in Dublin and then when he moved back to Cork a general election came around and he discovered he had no vote. His family home is in West Cork but because he wasn't living at home his name was taken off the register of electors. Now he said he was only renting in Dublin and for that reason he didn't move his vote to Dublin. He wanted to leave his vote at home in West Cork because obviously he knew he'd be moving back at some stage. So he reckons with the census that that won't work because you'll have people filling in the census who are only renting. And he said, and and at the moment there's a lot, there's more people renting now than there ever was, but you don't have security when you're renting because you don't know if you're going to remain permanently in that house and therefore people mightn't want their vote moved there. But I'm just wondering when Kevin was up in Dublin According to Councillor Kevin Murphy, and again, if we get on to the powers that be, they'll tell us how was somebody's name removed from the Register of Electors. They say it's removed because somebody will point out that somebody has moved or that somebody has, has been deceased. Now, according to the Register of Electors, they write out to people, particularly if it's somebody that's moved. I'm assuming they don't do it when they hear somebody has passed away. But when somebody's moved, as in the case with Kevin in Black Rock, he moved to Dublin. Did, your, did someone in your family home get a letter saying your name is going to be removed from the Register of Electors because we've been told that you, Kevin has moved uh, to Dublin. Because whenever we hear that somebody's name was removed from the Register we always ask did you get a letter saying your name was going to be removed and they say no I didn't because I'm living in the same house I've been in the same house for many many years and for some reason when I went to vote my name had been removed and, and, and we can never find out who told the Register of Electors to remove the name. I think that would make it much more interesting because you think has a bit of skullduggery gone on. Are there people deliberately removing names from a Register of Electors? I remember years ago and I could never get the person, I needed the person to allow me to use her name in order for me to pursue it. But we got a call in many, many years ago coming up to a general election. Somebody who had been a member of a political party who got into a row with a candidate and the candidate said, you'll never vote in the next election. And lo and behold, that person's name was removed from the register of electors by, she believed, the candidate that she had had an argument uh, with now, in order for us to investigate it, I needed to, her to allow me to use her name, but she didn't. She wouldn't. She just said no. She didn't. She didn't want to. She she didn't want it to go that public about it, which I was I was a tad um, disappointed with because I would love to have gone further with that story to see has that happened much that you will get within political parties, people rowing and 
you know, if, if a candidate feels that the vote's going to go somewhere else, do they have the power to move in and try and get the, the vote removed or taken off the Register of Electors? But the Register of Electors will always say, no, we send out letters, but yet we can't. Uh, now, we, we do hear from people who say they got a letter and then they contact them to say, no, they're not, they haven't moved, or yes, my son or daughter has moved in to remove it. But everyone whose name is removed certainly doesn't always seem to get a letter, and I don't know why that goes wrong uh, either. Leeming Kilbritton says that people are impersonating others at times when they go in into uh, polling booths. So he feels like in other countries that when you go in to vote, there should, to be, there should be some kind of what he calls finger marking. Like a die is put on your finger to show that you have voted. He said they do it in other countries. That's a bit extreme, isn't it, Liam? That you'd have some kind of a die that you'd have to eventually have it wear off. You'd, wear, you'd have your badge of honour. Everybody's finger would be dyed for so many weeks later to prove that they had uh, voted. I, uh, I don't know if I'd quite go uh, that far. Um, great excitement, I'm told, coming from Cove this morning. They are welcoming the Dutch King and Queen to the Harbour Town. Oh, I hope everyone has a wonderful day. I've seen gorgeous photographs of the King and Queen of uh, Holland because they were with the president the other day and yesterday they were looking happy and smiling with the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar and they are in Cove today. So we hope that you, uh, everyone in Cove, enjoys that day out. Can I just give a quick reminder, this was mentioned earlier, uh, From this is in from Bandon Co-op, they are recalling a batch of butter and unfortunately this is due to listeria. The batch number of the affected product is L134 and the best before date is the 14th of the 9th 2019. Now the implicated batch was distributed to retail shops in County Cork only so it's very much our own problem here. So if in the last number of weeks you bought butter from Bandon Co-op can you just check please the batch number on it and the best before date. So L134 and the best before date is the 14th of the 9th. Now, symptoms of listeria infection, it it can include vomiting, nausea, persistent fever, muscle aches, severe headache and neck stiffness. Doesn't sound like a very nice complaint. And of course, the most at risk with any of these diseases uh, will include pregnant women, babies and people with weakened immune system, including the elderly. And I'm straight away thinking, now I... I'm not in an area where I bought bantam butter so I don't have bantam butter but I use a butter dish so I I wouldn't have the batch number because the butter has gone straight into the butter dish so I suppose if you find yourself in that position that you bought butter recently and you know you bought bantam caught butter and it's sitting in a butter dish if it was me I'd be putting it in the bin and just leaving it go and I'm assuming on a recall if you go back into the shops with it you'll need to still have the affected products with it with the batch number and the best before date you need to have the packaging with you I'm assuming that you will get a full refund but the numbers once again to write down and check L134 with the best before date 14th of the 9th 2019 C103 Jobs Senior stylist is wanted in Cork City you need to have a minimum please of three years qualified experience Experienced butchers, senior butchers and butcher managers are wanted across Limerick and Cork. While a full-time hairdresser is wanted in Mallow, um, this time again, a minimum of three years salon uh, experience. And Vodafone salesperson wanted with the knowledge about phones and you need to be familiar with IT skills 
good with customers and you need to deal with issues and being able to resolve problems. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Now a gentle reminder to all that this coming Sunday is Father's Day and if you're lucky enough to still have your dad in your life then it's a real chance to celebrate and to show your appreciation. So what makes for a good dad? Well a man who knows all about it is Brendan Dennehy who runs a fatherhood programme and he's the author of Fed Funded and Ferried and we last spoke to him uh, earlier in the year. Good morning to you Brendan. Good morning uh, and, and, and you're welcome. I was mentioning earlier on that you were going to join us on the programme and I was just pondering, am I right in saying that Father's Day isn't as big an event as Mother's Day? Well any retailer will tell you that the three biggest days that they experience are Christmas, Mother's Day and then Father's Day comes somewhere down the pecking order. <laughs> I think men have to take a certain responsibility for that too because I, I'm actually down in Kerry at the moment and taking a few days break. My wife asked me, she rang me to ask me what did I want for Father's Day and I said nothing. <laughs> yeah, but should every father, actually every mother says that as well. <laughs> we're all great. Maybe we're not demanding enough. No, and then know. we're all disappointed if nothing did arrive. No, but, do, but both parents, do they matter as much in their child's oh, well, life? All the evidence is quite clear and getting clearer as time goes on that every child needs, uh, uh, in an ideal world, Patricia, uh, a good mum and a good enough dad too. I always say in the fatherhood programme, I introduce it by saying the place where we celebrate the joy of fatherhood and all things paternal, and we love mums too. There are a lot of single parents out there, mostly mums as it happens, and um, it's it's a two-person job in an ideal world, but to bring up a child is immensely complex and um the, the evidence would suggest a significant male presence in every, in every young person's life is a good thing. But if that's the scenario that you paint, because that is the reality for some families where there's only one parent, one good parent can do it. It's a tough job, but they can do it sure. as well. Sure, well, absolutely. And, and, and if we could rid ourselves of one thing, Father's Day coming up and Mother's too, is that um, the guilt complex. Yeah. All of us have that feeling that we're not, we're not doing enough, we're maybe, we're maybe not strict enough or we're too easy. And all these negative mostly thoughts rolling around in our heads children are remarkably resilient they'll be fine as long as you're well yourself but the key thing is to be well yourself What are the biggest challenges facing fathers today? Well you look at it I think the biggest one maybe is time and if we could hit that one on the head straight off the bat um, not spending enough time with our children everybody experiences that and again the evidence would suggest that um, it's it's not so much the time you spend with your child it's it's the quality of that time when you're with them I sometimes get a little bit irate in my own head when I see uh, parents and they're on the phone and they're yeah. with a child they're on the, the sideline of a football pitch and they're on the phone uh, technology I think the benefits are good for the most part but it can encroach on, on, on that quality time that we spend on our children as well and um, I think we need to be aware of that there was actually very interesting my 2012 My World survey and it, it all it said is that all every child needs in their life is one good adult but uh, 29% of children asked uh, claimed that they didn't have one good adult in their lives and I was reflecting on that and I was thinking every parent every single parent has moments when they're alienated from their children it's all part of them growing up and growing apart from you and so on any given day one of my three boys could feel alienated from me and that's where teachers and coaches and greater members of the community kind of played a role as well. Yeah. It's interesting when you talk about the technology. There was, wasn't it, it was a GAA club up the country put up the sign asking the parents 
when they when they come on the side of the pitch to, to cheer on their kids and to watch the match to leave the phones down and I, I thought it was really sad one of the coaches noticed that when a little lad you know kicked a ball or scored a ball or cut the ball or you know used the hurl and, yeah. and got a point and then they straight away looked over to see did dad or mum see me and mum and dad were, were, were their head down on Facebook or something and they missed the child and he said the disappointment and you know he'd had this wonderful moment of scoring a goal to realise that the parent missed the moment. Well, well, that, that emotional connection is the important one between every teen people, but especially between child and parent. Um, I grew up, and maybe you grew up in times when fathers were uh, emotionally distant, in fact, maybe non-existent, really. And, but I think we're now living in a world where people are more aware of, of the emotional connection and the emotional commitment, and, and that's, that's very important. I heard a very interesting phrase recently that children are now apparently suffering from what they call climate anxiety because they're hearing in school about the deteriorating state of our climate yeah. and, and they're coming home and they're reporting this to our parents. So there's all manner of anxieties for children today that we wouldn't have experienced. Yeah, and that's I think a good we point. need to be yeah. listening to hear those things. Now we, as I mentioned, we spoke earlier in the year about the programme that you run. Just to remind listeners, uh, Brendan, because I'm fascinated by the fatherhood programme, just to remind us of the format of it. Well, it takes place over two consecutive same Monday or Tuesday evenings and on the first evening we invite men in and I'm having a small dilemma with, with this, Patricia, maybe some of your listeners might be able to help me. Uh, mums keep turning up too. It's advertised <laughs> as the fatherhood programme. Could you make and a parent to it? Well, the reason I started it is because I believe there was very little there for fathers to talk about what it's like to be a dad. And okay. then mum started turning up and saying the same thing. So what happens is they we get maybe 20 is the match number, we get them into a room. And the first thing we ask them is, tell us about your relationship with your father. And um, I could then leave the room, head back home to Cork and paint the gable into the house and come back and they'd still be talking. About they, they their, own, with, their, about own, their relationship own relationship father. with their own... OK, all right. Sure, is that, that positive or negative? Well, uh, that's the template. We would get both, but that's the template that sets their own behaviour because they find themselves decades later saying something to their children and they're quickly reminded, oftentimes by their significant other, that you sound just like your father. So um, many of us have learned, in fact, all of us have learned our parenting from our parents. And for the most part, it was good, but there's part of it maybe we could drop as well. And then we asked, I asked them further, break them into little groups, and then I asked them, what's your relationship like with your own children? And again, I could leave for a week and they'd keep talking about it. But the most intriguing piece is that they, I, I give them a little sheet with three questions on them, which they take home and they give to their children, and their children have to answer these questions. And the point of the question is that you're familiar with the many tribunals of inquiry that we have in this country, and and I'm, I'm hoping we can future-proof ourselves in that regard by asking our children today, what am I like as a father? So the three questions are, Patricia, tell me about a memory that you spent, or the best time that you spent with your father. This is the child has to answer this question. If you could change one thing about your father or mother, what would that be? And as we grow older, how would our relationship change? And um, you get a response. And are both positive and negative responses? I have to say, for the most part, 99% positive. And even if you don't get a response, I mean, I gave it to my three children and two of them answered and the middle guy told me to get lost, which, <laughs> you know, which is... Teenager? Enjoying. Yeah, but, yeah. you know... He, he's entitled to that too and even if they don't want to fill it out it's, it can trigger a conversation that perhaps is a very healthy thing to have anyway and you can always ask a week or a month or a year later and in fact I've had grandfathers text these questions around the world to grown children that, yeah. uh, 
Isn't that sweet? And I also also assume that if you asked a seven-year-old that and came back when they were 14, you get different answers. Well, you would, of course. I mean, my middle fellow, the chap who wouldn't answer the question, actually. This time last year, we were in the throes of the leaving cert, and he's taken the unusual route, actually, of of commencing on, on an apprenticeship. Well done. And, uh, we only did an interview about that during the week, about how we yeah. need more apprenticeships. Absolutely. And I think uh, my experience of it, and it's just my experience, is that uh, the conversation that took place in our kitchen exactly a year ago around him go- attending for an interview for an apprenticeship, I think that conversation could have only happened between a father and a son. Um, we are the primary educators, as enshrined in Article 42.2 and the Constitution, but we're also, if that's the case, we're the primary career givers too. And we are blessed, I think, with a very good educational system and, and, and teachers are great trainers. But only pa- parents can coach their child at that vital kind of transition point between uh, school days and working. So he went from school shoes to uh, safety boots wow. in a matter of weeks. And I'm so proud of him, really. It's tough. It's a big transition for them. I think it was bigger f- for, for this generation than it was for ours because maybe we had it a little bit tougher so we knew what was coming Whereas for this generation, it was quite a shock for him, but he's, he's great and he's enjoying it. And did you and your wife want him to go on to university? He is an older brother who's doing the whole university thing. And uh, it, this, again, I think this conversation with my son, Tom, it took place when he was about 14 or 15. He declared in no uncertain times that he never liked school. Okay. In fact, this time last year, I collected his leaving cert results. Um, he wouldn't even go to school to collect them. So... Um, I was in the line of of 18, 19-year-old young fellows <laughs> collecting my son's leaving set results. I collected them twice for myself and a third time for my son. I think there ought to be some kind of surprise <laughs> for that That's parenting plus. So schooling was not for him and you knew that? Yes, but he, he when when I said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I was thinking of taking a year out and travelling. And I, I know him well and I said, Tom, you're just avoiding it, really. Um, and so we had several conversations around that. And before he knew it anyway, he was in work and... Um, he he's found it tough, I have to say, but he's shown tremendous resilience, and he's the only person in his cohort who's actually working. All the rest of them are going to college or have part time jobs. But he's happy. Oh, he's happy, and 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 a parent, no parent, every parent knows their child better than anybody else, and it's definitely the route for him. I believe. And isn't that all you want for your children? At the end of the day, I mean, you know, they can't all be nuclear scientists. They can't all be doctors. You know, you just want your kids to be happy. Absolutely. I, I, I suppose spare us all from, from snobbery of all kinds, you know, um, house snobs or intellectual snobs or car snobs or clothes yeah. snobs. He's, um, there's, a, there's a big need for that market, for the apprenticeship market, and there's probably, there's no question but that there's a shortage of them. And it just does suit some young men and women too. I would urge them, and I would urge every parent to have that conversation with their child. From the time they're 15 and 16, you should be throwing these conversations out, I think. Your parent, your fatherhood, of course, a parent, of course, your fatherhood programme is, would you describe it as more a well-being programme? There's no question about that. Um, we, 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 we can do and be anything as long as we're well ourselves and our children look to us. I was talking to her father recently and he, he remembers when he was 16 and there was a, a family member died and he remembers at 16 years of age looking at both his parents thinking, um, thinking that they were quite vulnerable and parents are vulnerable and I think we need to be well and uh, I employers know that too you see a lot of organisations I've been invited in by a lot of organisations now just to talk about things paternal in fact I was invited into a school recently and the catalyst for it was that there was one young man in the school who was experiencing a difficult time now they didn't want to 
throw too much attention on the young man by pulling him out and having that conversation. So yeah. they just brought me in to talk about how important it is for, in this case, an all-boys school, for boys to look out for other boys. That's a, a little conversation. And um, they, they got it. I, I think the great news is that all these conversations we're having around mental health, they're actually having an effect because it's given boys and girls the language to articulate their feelings, which is something our generation never had. Wasn't that very proactive of that school? But they're wonderful, and, and I have to say, I think everything's under pressure. I think you look across in the UK, they're basically having a, on a macro scale, they're having a meltdown. 48% want to stay and 52% want to leave. And Boris Johnson could be the next PM. Yeah, so when you bring it down to a personality thing, I mean, who among us didn't want to leave a relationship or a job or something? So Britain is just going through this big mental health breakdown, I think. And then you look across the United States and the man at the helm there, some people will question his values and so on. So I think we're going to have to look for leadership maybe in the home. And that's where I think fathers and mothers have an absolutely vital role because in a world that seems to be changing, and some would say in a negative way, I think leadership and the something that will st- that will never change, which is the important link between parents and their children, that needs to be strengthened and highlighted more because the outside world is maybe in a little bit of chaos at the moment. And when you get all your dads together, um, uh, Brendan, you know the biggest part um, it, it's 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 about them sharing with each other, isn't it? Absolutely, I, you're you're familiar with the whole concept of men's shed. Yeah, um, yeah. It's kind of like a dad's shed, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In a lovely environment, and um, we we're we're not saving the world, and it's not rocket science. We it, it's a conversation, really, which people are, I would say, open to, and. Um, I always get emails after, say, from shows like yourself when I complete a program. In fact, they follow you out to the car when I'm moving stuff back out from the room, back out to the car, and you can tell there's something on their mind, and they just want to talk about it. It's 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 first aid for fathers, I think, and mums too, and it's the beginning of a conversation. And for most people, that's enough. Uh, it's just to reinforce that they're they're doing good enough. And what about the teenage years? They can be rocky. For relationships oh, between fathers well, and sons and mothers and sons and daughters. Sure. Well, they're, they're, it's, nature designs it that way. You know, they, they don't listen to you, of course. Their room is, is, is a complete mess. You tell them to get up on time and they don't. But that's all part of... Neurologically, it's, it's quite normal, actually. But we've forgotten. You and I've forgotten what it's like to be <laughs> Patricia 16. And yeah, 17. yeah. I mean, I took no notice of my yeah. when I was that age. I probably caused them a lot of heartache, too, looking back on it. Oh, listen, I know I did. <laughs> so you, you just you just have to you just, you just go through it and they, they and it. they come back to you. They do, and and st- I, I guess stop expecting smooth. I mean, life is full of bumps, and you know every play or, or movie or poem that we read, there's always the hero and the villain, and oftentimes it's that teenager in the house seems to be the villain. But I mean, it, it does sort itself out in the grand scheme of things, and they need that kind of they need to to bump against you. Ideally, I met a gentleman recently. In fact, my 14-year-old went to one of those, into the city hall there in Cork, to one of these climate protest speeches. I think mm-hmm. there was a young lady over from Sweden. Yeah, yeah. Now, when he asked me, could he go, I knew he just went a few hours off school. <laughs> and, of course, he told me on the way, they went into a famous fast food place for something to eat. And um, he tempered his, his, his visit by saying, well, we didn't have a burger. So they they kind of know <laughs> they kind of know saving the planet. Well done, Tom. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's go for a burger in the meantime. So, but at least I think there's something in his young fourteen year old mind that sees the truth of this, and I think we will be led by a younger generation in terms of improving our behaviour around climate and environment and all that. But 
you and I have a little micro environment on our home, own homes too. And if, if we're all well most of the time, I think that's the way to go. And how do you explain when you'll hear from parents that they might raise, say, I'll just pick three, three children. Uh, two of them, they sailed through the teenage years with and then the third one or the middle one, one of them, was just completely different to the other two. They were all raised the very same way. Yeah, there's one of those in every house, isn't there? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, even as a young fellow myself, I, I spent a few out in Spitnave, ambitious on there. I spent a few, a few periods outside the door as well. I think um, it's normal. Uh, all of us will have those moments. I don't think there's any easy answer for that. I would encourage every parent, actually, and I often say to parents, don't sleepwalk through your child's education. I would get involved with the local school because not only do the parents need support in the school, but the principals and the boards of management need parents involved too. And the enlightened schools, like I mentioned, uh, that invited me in to talk to boys about all things paternal, they're just switched on. Mm. And they realise, you know, it's that old saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Absolutely. And Absolutely. so that means aunts, uncles, teachers, everybody needs to get involved. And don't and don't compare children. They're all different. They're all unique. Uh, what a well, boring uh, world we'd live in if we were all the same. Absolutely. And it brings colour and variety. And I mean, that's easy to say when you're when you're tearing your hair out. But, I mean, um, everybody's gone through that. I mean, they're a blessing, let's be candid. And, uh, but expecting smooth as a parent, uh, I don't think it's a realistic right. outlook to have. So how would you describe the best dad in the world? Firstly, there's no such thing. I think it's it's um, it's it's when we do our best. I suppose the best dad in the world is is the fellow. Lots of men I know, most of the men I know actually are quite stoic. They just go out to work. And they see their role as like being the breadwinner. That's still primarily the mindset, even though I know that's changed. So, and for all those men there who turned down asking what they wanted for Father's Day, I'd say throw your arms around them, tell them that you love them, uh, uh, despite their moods, our moods and um, make them their favourite dinner because that's all they want. Mm. I, I think that men experience a lot of isolation sometimes. I know I do. Like I'm in one room for whatever reason stewing away my own mood and they're all in the kitchen having great fun. I think that's a very uniquely male experience. Yeah. I don't know what that is. And, every, and so many off. men will identify with that. Yeah, we cut ourselves off and there's no need for it but just realise that you're not alone in that and um, I have mums come up to me too and you're saying will you, will, will you will you encourage my fellow to go on the programme and I'm saying I can't do that. Yeah. They have to come of their own volition. But lots of them do. Okay, and have you a programme coming up soon? I'll have, uh, we'll be kicking off again in the autumn just the autumn. tune into Whips with their fatherhood.ie and there's okay. plenty of stuff there, videos and things. Alright, well it's a pleasure as always to talk to you. Enjoy Father's Day yourself, Brendan. And, uh, and thanks for joining us. Bye bye, bye bye. That bye-bye. is uh, Brendan uh, Dennehy, and uh, he's author of what's well, a fabulous book. If you didn't, if you didn't read it when we spoke about it earlier in the year, fed, funded, and uh, ferried, and he runs those excellent fatherhood programs. Jackie says, "Morning, Patricia, on the subject of Father's Day. My father passed away five and a half years ago, and I miss him every single." day. I loved him and he loved me. He was 87 and an absolutely marvellous man. Everybody out there enjoy your dads while you can. And that's from Jackie in Carrigaline. Now a new family festival called Balloon Abandon, which is the gathering of Bandon, is being organised for this August and in order to run it successfully fundraising is underway. One fundraiser is being led by Teddy Nine who hopes to climb Karen Tool, but is doing it with a twist. And Teddy Nine uh, joins me. Uh, good morning to you Teddy. Hey Patricia, how are you? I'm well. This is a tough enough mountain to climb, but tell me what your plans for the climb are. Okay, so basically there is a 
group of people from Band and Strength and Conditioning coming together. Um, the group, uh, we have two teams of four, and we are going to be taking two Concept 2 rowing machines up Crown Tool. So just uh, in order to do that, we're going to need to break down the Concept 2 rowing machines, and we're actually currently doing that now inside in Riverview Shopping Centre. How heavy are those rowing machines? Uh, in total, they weigh about 23 or 24 kilos. So you've, so got to, you've got to carry them up as well? Absolutely, yeah. So we're going to strip them down, pack them into bags, and once we get up to the top then, so hopefully we'll be up in and around three hours, we have to assemble the rowing machines above there and roll 42 kilometres, strip the rowing machines apart again, put them back into the bags, and away down home we go. God, it sounds like a piece of cake. <laughs> oh, yeah. It <laughs> who, was an act of madness, really. Who came up with this act of madness? Uh, I did. So basically, how that came about, I was, um, I, I was down to Kerry Mountain for a couple of days hiking myself, and I came back to the gym after, and I was just doing a bit of maintenance on the rowing machines. And as I was kind of take it, take it apart, I was saying, this is lighter than I thought and this is a bit easier than I thought and then I started laughing to myself and just saw myself rowing up on top of Crown Tool and I kind of thought no more of that then until I met Denise Crean and Denise was asking me to participate in some kind of fundraiser and I just kind of smiled and I said I have the idea for you So I take it from that this has never been done before No there's, there's definitely there's been a a few things up in Crown Tool. I think there was a group of lads maybe bought a fridge up and just random bits of kit off to the top and brought them back down again. But definitely not a Concept 2 rowing machine and definitely nobody, I, I don't think anybody has stayed that length of time yeah. up, up in the mountain. So yeah, because when, like, you, when you get up the top, how long does it take to row 42 kilometres on a rowing machine? Three and a half hours. Oh. Yeah, so like... Whatever, physical fitness isn't a worry for me. Um, it's everybody's safety. So yeah. if anybody's familiar with Crown Tool, like no, no matter what degrees it's down on the ground, it's, it's going freezing. to be at least 10 degrees colder yeah. up there. It's, it's always and, it's freezing yeah, up there. And just the climate can change just in a heartbeat. So we have asked Kerry, Kerry Climbing to come along with us. So I just want professional guide, guides there and it will be Pierce taking us up. So he is also a volunteer for the Kerry Mountain Rescue. Okay. So he know all kind of cardinal signs of hypothermia now and things like this. But it, it's, it's great that we have him with us. And uh, Wildside Sports here in Bandon are donating rescue shelters and we're going to bring sleeping bags and everything else up. So making sure everybody kind of keeps warm between their boats and the rowing machine. And your two teams of four, are they all experienced mountain climbers? Yes, yeah, yes, they okay. have experience up and down Crown too. Good, um, good. Which is good. And we already did a trial run without the rowing machines and we've been kind of rowing tirelessly since. And next on the agenda, we're just going to start taking apart, uh, disassembling and reassembling the rowing machines countless amount of times for the next two weeks. Because it's to try to and do that as quickly as possible as well, isn't it? Well, yeah. I suppose not so much as quickly as possible, but uh, efficiently and just make sure we, we're good enough that we don't start losing nuts and bolts and okay. stuff like that. Because okay. I don't want to be the person going back down for spare parts. <laughs> you know? All three hours. Um, yeah, and yeah. Now, you've set a date, I think it's the 29th of June. 29th of June, yeah. Okay. We'll be leaving on uh, first light. 
And roughly, I'd say by the time we leave Cronin's Yard and get back to Cronin's Yard, it'll be 11 to 12 hours. Okay, that's a Sunday. Is it the 29th? It's the Saturday. Saturday. It, that would yeah. be weather dependent. Absolutely. What's Absolutely. ideal weather for you? Um, Just dry. Dry, okay. Dry, okay. yeah. yeah. All like, right. If it's cool and dry, all the better. Um, but dry primarily and little to no wind. Yeah, you don't you don't so, want the rainy weather we have at the moment. Hopefully, it'll be no, hopefully no, it'll, it'll, it'll be well. And then it it is as I said at the outset, it is a fundraiser for this new uh, festival. How are you raising money? Is there a GoFundMe page or? Yeah, there's a GoFundMe page, and we're in Riverview now. The, at the moment, we're actually rowing a marathon up in the up in the Concept Two and stripping uh, Concept Two just to give people an idea of what we're going to be doing up in Crown Tool. And there's the GoFundMe page, and we have guys just going door to door to with sponsorship cards and um, so there's a lot going on are you, get, are you getting a good reaction definitely definitely okay. like the the the, um, the fundraiser is just that kind of bit outlandish that it's getting yes. a bit of traction yeah and we'll so talk we, we, we'll talk about the actual festival itself close to the time and we might we will we will definitely check in with you uh, the Monday after to see how you all got on Teddy if that's okay with you absolutely okay. no bothers at all and thanks for the opportunity well the very best of luck what's the GoFundMe page somebody's asked me uh, the Hiking Hall the Hiking Hall yeah <laughs> <laughs> I could have guessed that one myself. Okay, good luck with the hike and haul, and we'll talk to you when you get back down. No Thanks a million. Bye bye. Bye bye bye. That is uh, Teddy Nine, and best of luck to all eight as they do the hike and haul for that new festival. And uh, coming close to the time, we'll we'll chat more about the festival as well. A very quick one. A listener wants to know she's having work done on her house at the moment. It's been a big job of five thousand euro. It's costed her. There are two workers and a supervisor who pops in and out so it's mainly the two workers she's never sure whether to tip the workers or not and if so how much now she's been keeping them supplied with coffee and cakes and tea she's also offered them soup and sandwiches I don't know if they've accepted or not but they're finishing the job today so she's very happy with the work so far this is uh, Ruth but she wants to know should she tip them do you tip workmen who work in your house. Now it's costing 5000 so she's spending a lot of money and obviously these guys are getting paid. And this is interesting because we were talking about tipping with restaurants early on in the week, but this is a different one. These are workmen working in her home. They will pick up their wage package. We, you know, probably maybe today, Friday's payday. So they will get a wage package. But she's happy with the work. Does she tip them? And if so, how much do you tip lads that are doing a job a physical job in your house. Has that happened for anybody else? And did you tip? And if you tipped, how much did you tip? 1850-333-103. Ruth. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. In Mallow is wondering. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I've been asked to play a couple of birthday requests. The first is from Maraid Rainsford, who is the big 5-0 today. Life begins at 40. Our life begins at 50. They say 50 is the new 40. So Maraid, have a wonderful, wonderful day. Your husband, Ali, daughter, Ellen, and, and all of the family in Goran, in Dramoc, wanting to wish you all the best. Unfortunately, your husband, Oliver, requesting a song that I don't have. And they have recently repatriated from the United Kingdom and they found C103 to be the best radio station. Great music, great chat and great local news. Good to have you along. We can do with all the new listeners that we can muster up. So happy birthday, Maraid Rainsford. And somebody who's having a special birthday tomorrow is Caroline Walsh of Cairn Woods in Mallow. She's celebrating her 40th birthday tomorrow and her sister Martina from Dublin was on to me wanting to wish um, Caroline all the very best on her birthday. So lots of love and best wishes to you. Caroline Walsh, Cairn Woods in Mallow, 40 tomorrow. Sister Martina, Dave and Dara and love to all. 1850 333103. Now some of your calls coming in. Oh, Firstly, if God, if you need this on a Friday with traffic, traffic's always busy on a Friday, particularly in McCroom. A truck has broken down on New Street in McCroom. Delays in the area, delays on the Killarney side and approaching the bridge in McCroom. So a little bit of patience, please, if you're wondering why you're in, ex- in an excessively long tailback of traffic. It's because a truck broke down but they're working to get that uh, sorted out and something I'm really looking forward to is on tomorrow week Saturday the 22nd of June the official opening of Donnerell Court and it's a culmination of many many years of hard work by the Georgian Society and the OPW and the opening up of the actual house Donnerell Court is going to add another brilliant aspect to the Donnerell Wildlife Park which is a fabulous free amenity which is enjoyed by young and old in equal measure the official opening is happening tomorrow week, three o'clock in the afternoon. And then from four onwards, there's going to be free admission to, uh, to the house. I really am looking forward to seeing that. It should be a lovely, lovely day out and then it will be great. And it'll be fantastic for tourism for the area as well. So best wishes to everybody involved in uh, the reopening of Donnerail Court. Now, Ruth, who I mentioned before 12, Ruth has emailed us because she's having work done on her home. It's been going on over the last few days. Big enough job in that it's cost her in and around €5,000. There are two workers who've been doing the bulk of the work. Now, there's also a supervisor, but the supervisor really is only popping in and out. So it's the two guys uh, are doing the bulk of the work. And she's never sure whether, the, whether workers like that who are working in your house, whether she should tip them or not. She's done her bit. 
as you would expect she's kept them supplied with the teas and the coffees and the cakes and she's been offering them soup and sandwiches uh, etc but they're finishing up today happy with the work but she's wondering what if anything should she tip is it appropriate to tip and if it is how much do you you, uh, tip mixed reaction in with advice for Ruth Lisa says if you've paid €5,000 for the job then you've paid enough they'll be getting their wages today they do not need a tip that's from Lisa Marion says her son is a labourer and she says well he's out at work today she will ask him when he gets home but she said she's never heard of him getting a tip but she thought it was a really nice idea from Ruth and Pat worked as a labourer all of his life and he says what a lovely lovely kind thing for Ruth to even suggest he says it isn't the norm as far as he knows and it certainly wasn't the norm when he was working as a labourer but he says perhaps you could give them a little bit of money at the end of the day and tell them go for a pint they might be heading out at the weekend and I say so mixed reaction there nobody coming up with a figure I suppose the figure is up to yourself Ruth how much you want to give but yeah I think I like that idea from from Pat well we're assuming they're drinkers they mightn't be drinkers but you know give them a few bob to say away off and have a have a pint on me or go for a, go for a meal go go have dinner on me or, uh, or something uh, let us know what you do Ruth I'd be interested to hear 1850 Jackie heard me mention my butter dish says Patricia we are a rare breed butter dishes you see I, I don't like butter hard love real butter don't give me any of your spreadable butter can't be doing with that have to have real butter and I hate butter out of the fridge so I have to so a butter dish always and I've one of those very oh god I'd say I bought it years ago and they're still on sale you know those see-through glass butter dishes with the cow on the top <laughs> and are we a rare breed I would have thought every home Every home that uses butter, if you use the spreadable one out of the fridge, you don't need a butter dish. But I'm assuming everybody who uses, who goes out and buys butter. Are, are we a rare enough breed? Jackie reckons we are. Thanks for your text to 0862103103. On the rabbits and the advice that we got to grate the carbolic soap. And I'm really hoping that some people try that and get back to me and, let, and tell me how they, they get on. I mentioned what Peter Dowdle says he's hard works and that's to go into a hairdresser or a barber's and ask them for the hair cuttings and you put the hair cuttings around the shrubs and the plants and the rabbits don't like I take it it's the feel of the hair is it they don't like to walk over it I'm, I'm assuming and that it's meant to work well somebody says Patricia I'm telling you now putting hair from the hairdressers around plants or flowers in a graveyard doesn't work I have tried it I've also tried putting vinegar around the plants I was told that works I can tell you now it doesn't work I've given up and I've put artificial ones there instead ah yeah, and if you, that's, not everybody likes the artificial ones, even though artificial flowers have come on so much than what they used to be like. So maybe that is a solution. But for people who like to tend graves and like to have them nice and are into gardening themselves and, you know, they like to have the real flowers on it. But I hadn't heard of the vinegar one. We're, we're relying on the, car, the grated carbolic soap and keeping our fingers crossed that that might work. Morris was on to say, Patricia, I've just seen five men filling in one pothole. It's at the top of Saline Hill in uh, Middleton. Is that value for money? Says Morris. Now, I know if I get onto the council and say, why do you need five men to fill in a pothole? They'll tell me health and safety that they need somebody watching for the traffic and somebody else operating the van and somebody else to hold the shovel while the other person gets the tar ready and then somebody else passes it on. There's always, it always goes down to health and safe, safety. I accept what you're saying, that, does, that that does seem like 
an excessive amount of people to all be filling in one pothole. Do we assume that they're doing many more potholes and that you just came upon them as they were filling in the one? But it does seem excessive to have five men filling in one pothole. Am I right in saying it's all down to health and safety? I'm, I have a funny feeling it will be. If anybody wants to offer a different answer as to why you would have five men filling in one pothole in Middleton, I would love to hear from you. 1850-333-103. Martin in Formoy on the suggestion that you get a die on your finger when you vote it. Somebody says there's too many people impersonating others and in other countries they mark your finger with a die so that you can't go back in and vote again and I don't know if I'd be that happy with that and you're going around with your, your badge of honour to say you have voted. Martin in for Moy said what's all this? Finger painting voters. We don't have to bloody vote. That's his choice of language not mine. If we don't want to. I thought we lived in a freedom of choice country. Well we do Martin, it's up to yourself but this gentleman just felt that we have people impersonating others and if we want to get rid of that if we feel that's going on then a solution is to die a person's finger as I say I don't know if I'm totally in agreement with that Mike from Bantry this is to Ruth and her workman uh, Hi Trish my mother used to always give a six pack to the dustman at Christmas time does that still go on when the council were operating the bin lorries people always used to tip the bin trucks I don't know now that people pay to have their bins collected does do the bin man get a tip at Christmas? I think before when it was the council, even though they were getting paid, I know they were getting their wages from the council, but people felt, I think then, that it was only right and proper that you gave them a tip because, you know, they were at your doors, you know, every week. And God knows, I remember back in the 70s where I lived in Clamel, we had two bin collections a week. The bins went out on a Wednesday and on a Friday. And we didn't have half the amount of waste that we have today. And then it went down to once a week. But I remember my mother would always used to tip the bin. But I don't know. I think when now that people are paying for it, that they don't tip as much. But anyway, Mike says his mother always gave a six pack. And I'm sure the boys on the bin truck were delighted. Anne says, oh no, before I go to Anne, Pat, what sort of a goddamn country have we got? And this is to do with slurry. Slurry is a dangerous poison that does kill We have people with asthma, COPD and other chest problems and they are subjected to inhaling this poison. And in this country, that's okay. And in this country, that's okay. God give me patience, says uh, Pat. I hope hope you're not living in the countryside, Pat, because when they're spreading slurry, you must get very, very uh, annoyed. Anne says, mind your dads. This is to do with Father's Day while you have them. Uh, never knew my dad. He was killed by a drunk driver when I was only six months old, says Anna. Feel your pain, Anne, feel your pain. And social and a social and a dance is going on in Ballinascarthy Hall on this Friday. That's today, isn't it? The 14th, yeah, the 14th of June. God, June is flying by, isn't it? Uh, music is by Derry Kennedy and Martin Carney. And dancing is from 9.45 tonight until 12.30. All are welcome. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. There'll be a magical night out in Ballancolic GAA Club tonight. Doors will open at 8 o'clock for a barbecue to be followed by a show by a young illusionist, Daniel Kremen, plus music by Playback. A limited number of tickets are still available from Richie at the GAA Club. Ballinhasset Community Development fundraising Kaylee in the Marion Hall tonight. Music by Jer Murphy and dancing from 9.45. 
Mitchellstown 5K Colour Run is taking place today. You need to register at half six this evening and then it starts at eight from Roach's Spa Shop. All proceeds going to the Carmelite Lourdes Fund. Clyde Rovers Lotto Draw that's on tonight. Derry Murphy's Bar, Ballinamona. They've got a huge jackpot, €8,500. The Harry Potter Bandin Banshee Scavenger Hunt. That sounds like fun. That takes place tomorrow, Saturday, 12 noon at the West Cork Heritage Centre in Bandon. You text Banshee to, to 085-16-00890 to register the number of children attending. Under 16s must be accompanied by an adult and there's going to be a prize for the best Harry Potter themed costume. And the Family Fun Day is going on in Ballyclaw National School this Sunday from 12 to 3pm. There's a barbecue, a donkey derby, pony rides, cake sale, big screen for the match, bouncy castle, lots of novelties. And the good news is admission is free. Katrina Mala was on to say, like Ruth who has had work done in her house she said I've also had work done recently and I did tip the workers because they worked so hard and did a fantastic job I gave them 100 euro each when they finished up now some will say 100 euro won't go far these days these days but they left the place spotless I think that was a very generous tip uh, Katrina well done I'm sure the lads were thrilled with it as well also Katrina said when she was on credit where credit is due the town park in Mallow the council workers were in there recently and they've cleaned it up they've done a beautiful job. Well done to the council workers as you can see it when you drive past it's lovely. It makes a huge difference. So a pat on the back to the council workers who worked in the Mallow Town Park. And Sheila is, was also on to us from the Mallow area is wondering, does anybody know are there any trips going locally from the North Cork area to Knock in the coming weeks? If anybody knows, there's none in our community diary. It often comes up in the community diary so there doesn't seem to be any at the moment. Does anybody know from the, anywhere in the North Cork area uh, an organised trip to Knock? If you can let us know, because I'm assuming Sheila would like to go. 1850-333-103. The fourth annual Clonakilty Street Carnival will take place tomorrow with a maritime theme to celebrate Clonakilty by the Sea. To chat about what has been described as an exciting day of free entertainment for all. I'm joined by Kevin O'Regan of the Organising Committee. Good afternoon to you, Kevin. Good afternoon, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. Now, the Carnival Dinner Party is always the main event. Uh, what's planned for this year's dinner party? Oh, listen, where do we start? We are getting ready for tomorrow's exciting day. And the dinner party, like like other years, it's, it will dominate the whole main street here in Pier Street. And we have 10, 11, 12 of our best food providers ready to show all their wares tomorrow. So predominantly seafood team tomorrow, but obviously we have all dietary needs covered and gluten-free and vegetarian and the meat lovers will, will be covered as well. But a strong, strong, beautiful seafood influence with paellas and cassoulet of seafood and we, let's fish tackles and you name it you're we get, getting everyone hungry because we're so close to lunch how many diners are you expecting well we will hope to feed around a thousand diners tomorrow Whoa. yeah <laughs> and um, pre-booking important not essential but okay. it's important yeah we, we you can buy it on, on the day tomorrow um, all day today obviously in town as well and online so you can get your tickets on uticket.ie and go to event and you'll find us Clonkip Street Carnival so you can buy it online and then 
just bring your uh, online proof and we'll be able to zap it and give you a, um, a real ticket if you like on the morning or in the afternoon when you queue up Okay but explain, explain how it works for those who haven't been there before you have the big long table laid out down the main street people buy their tickets and then how, how, how does the food given out? Well, the food is given out for roughly three o'clock on. Now, we have a kids section further down at the at the infamous, I suppose, famous kids zone, which is further down, which we'll get to in a second. But the main eating area is on Pier Street. So you queue up from, let's say, the eastern side of the town and you filter up through a kind of an archway where all the food is laid out. And this year now you can pick from two different portions. You can get okay. so you can if 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 there's a, one of the problem or one of the comments back was that there's so much beautiful food on 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 uh, available for everybody. People are going, oh, there's only one. I can only pick one, and people found it difficult. So this year we've doubled up, so you can pick two of your of your choices, uh, and you filter through, and you get a glass of wine or a beer or a glass of water or an orange juice. You will get a, an Irish clonkilty Irish yogurts who are our main sponsor. We got the plug in there. Mm-hmm. You get one of their desserts. You will get a clonkety homemade ice cream as well after it. Well, um, all that for, for 15 euros and 7 fantastic. euros for children. So that's, it's it's uh, fantastic value as well, I have to it's say. Great it's great value. It's, it's, it's great fun and the atmosphere and there's lots of music, lots of entertainment. Obviously, I just mentioned the whole kids zone down Ashley then, which is, the, which is further down. That whole area is pedestrian friendly, kid friendly and uh, people will be familiar, but it really is worth coming to see. We have some extra attractions this year, uh, much stronger emphasis on the whole art and the street art and music this year. We have uh, Geta Arts, who are, who do a, f- a really fantastic Halloween parade here, the Sound of Parade. They really are top quality street entertainment. Now, they're being their Finnegan's Famous Circus, Family Circus, sorry, the Finnegan's Family Circus, um, to town and they're going to do about an hour and a half show so that really is going to be one of the highlights we have a 14 foot uh, drum coming for it's a community drum coming all the way from Kerry that's a spectacular um, scene as well and uh, families can all hop on board and play the drums at different times of the day so that's exciting isn't that great and also I just want to get this point in Clown Guilty we, we were we, we became the first autism friendly town in Ireland we uh, did an interview uh, on it yeah sure early in the year yeah so we have a, a special autism friendly area which is really really important to us um, sensory quiet area uh, headphones and lots of toys and wow. things for it. So that's really special for us. So, so families who have a child on the spectrum, there's so few events that they can go to. Yeah, here's, here's a perfect one. It's a perfect one. Now there's well lots of action, but then there's a quiet zone for anybody who needs to chill out and just uh, gather their thoughts. So that's really important for us to to go with that whole um, autism-friendly um, you know, we're, we're famous for it here and we want, to, we want to do our best for it. Okay, how do you fare out weather-wise? Well, my sunscreen, uh, we have plenty of sunscreen. Now, the pharmacies are running out because the weather forecast tomorrow is seriously good. We have sunshine all day. <laughs> so, <laughs> now, we definitely, we definitely. Yeah, it hasn't, yeah. And I know there are showers, but it looks like there are going to be more the evening time. You could be lucky and get it all out of the way no, before the no showers. Involved. It's all organised. It's one of the things we organise early on. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have, we have a nice drop of rain at the moment, which are out, which is uh, watering our wildflowers. Great. So Cleaning the streets. P- picking them up at six o'clock in the morning. So Clonkilty Flower Club will provide um, 120 tins of wildflowers oh. for our tables, which really is spectacular. Um, music all day long. We have, uh, I think we had, you had Fusion in the local band here who got a UK uh, record deal there. Um, too young for, yeah. too young for us. They're yeah. on stage. They're going to kick it off tomorrow from one o'clock. 
and we have music right through the whole town in until 10 o'clock that night. So, And what, what, what time do you start laying out the tables at? Oh, we'll be on the road at uh, 6 o'clock in the morning. Tomorrow morning, yeah. Wow, wow. And, uh, it's a big undertaking, isn't it, Kevin? It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to give. It's all about giving back to the community. It's a real family day. It's a real community day. And it's a clinical today. And look, we are the Clonkelly Chamber of Tourism. It's a big promotional push, but it's, we, what fun we have. This is our fourth year, and we, we, we love it. And it really is special. And it's kind of unique, uh, and it works, and it's family and food and community and a few drinks along the way as well mm. and it's a really nice atmosphere okay and it's for like it's for the locals but it's for the it's for the visitors and the tourists as well and i'm, I'm assuming a lot of lot of tourists around at this stage are we in the middle they're of begin, june they begin to filter in now yeah. you know the weather hasn't been great so uh, we need a boost and we need we need the weather yeah, to settle for absolutely. sure patricia before i go thank you very much for having us no problem clonkilty is open for business there is still road works going on with, with the flood, flood prevention works. So there's a, a park and ride um, facility in town every day. And tomorrow we hope people will use it because there'll yeah. be a lot of people in town. Uh, the park and ride facility is based at the showgrounds, which is a famous landmark where the agriculture show is on and so on. So that's available and there's buses there every quarter of an hour every half an hour so yeah. park up the car leave it there, there and just keep the town free flowing as much as we can so if you can park there it's only a five minute walk anyway mm. but if you want to hop on the bus in uh, the glorious sunshine so in the glorious sunshine tomorrow enjoy Kevin and thanks, thank a million, thanks a million for joining us bye bye Kevin O'Regan there one of the organisers from the annual Clonakilty Street Carnival and it's on tomorrow it sounds like they're going to have a wonderful wonderful day out enjoy if you're going along 1850 Nora this is on tipping says Patricia I always give our postman 20 euro for Christmas and there's a lot of families do that well it was again it's one of those things I'm wondering was it more pos- more more popular in bygone years or do people still tip the postman at Christmas Nora, Nora certainly does well done Nora and I'm sure your postman delighted with you we're going to take a break and we are back talking movies with Mark Malone this is the Court Today replay on C103 Mark Maloney, our movie reviewer, joins me online this week. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Okay, you went to the movies to see The Secret Life of Pets 2 and then out on DVD, The Wonderful Mary Queen of Scots. Here's a trailer from The Secret Life of Pets 2. You never know what life is going to throw at you. And from this point on, nothing is going to be the same. Raising a kid, it's not easy. No, no, no. This way, buddy. Come on. Gidget, could you watch Liam? It's like we're his parents. It's like you're the dad and I'm the mom and we're in a relationship and this is our baby. (laughs) Well, it's exactly like that. Okay, The Secret Life of Pets 2. Does this pick up where the first one left off? Uh, it does, yeah. yeah. And, uh, I mean, did you, I presume you didn't I, see the first one. No, I didn't. No, I've only <laughs> ever seen sort of trailers and bits of it and it just, it looks so like so much fun. But that's the thing about the trailer of the first film because the first 20 minutes of the first film was kind of similar to kind of Wally. Um, the first 20 minutes, great. The rest of the film, not so great. And one ah. of the reasons why, it was like when Wally was on his own, basically on Earth, and what he had to do to kind of survive was kind of the most interesting and the most kind of funniest part of it. It's when the humans arrived, when it became kind of less interesting to me. And what was interesting about this trailer, I think, of the first film, what they did was they looked at that first 20 minutes and they made the trailer of the first 20 minutes. Ah. Because what it did show was what animals get up to when you are not there. Yeah. And that made it really, really funny because, of course, as you know and I know, animals are weird. Yeah. And they do <laughs> funny, strange things. I mean, if a dog sticks his head out the window, it's 
funny. Yeah. And they do that in this film, and they do it again, like the first film. All that kind of stuff happens in the first kind of 20 minutes of the film, where the, and there's a lovely moment where you know the puppy goes up to his dad and says, Dad, I need to poop. And the dad goes, well, you know where to go. Find a shoe. <laughs> you know, and it's all that kind of stuff. You used to have cats. Did you know I did, thing? yeah, and I did. And yeah. as you and I know as well, cats are weird. Yeah, And yeah. the thing is, is that like, there's a lovely moment where the cat kind of gets up first thing in the morning and he wants his owner to, to, to get up and, of course, it starts kind of pa- tapping him on the, 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 on, the, on the nose. As cats and, do. And meowing into his ear. And when he doesn't, it coughs up a furball. Yeah. As, of course, cats <laughs> do. So all that stuff, again, happens in the first 20 minutes. It's from then on when the film then becomes a problem when actually the kind of story kind of kicks off. And then basically what happens is the animals become humans. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In kind of human situations. And I think that's a shame because when they're being animals and when they're being and doing the kind of strange, weird kind of things that we know animals do, that's when it's really, really funny. And of course, you're very charmed by that. You spend the whole first 20 minutes going, this is just the best cinema I've ever seen. And then the story kicks off. And I think that's a bit of a shame. And the weird thing about this film, in fact, is that there are actually three different story threads, which is very, very odd. And I think might be confusing for, um, you know, younger viewers of this. And basically, this film is made for 10 year olds. I mean, let's Mm. make that kind of quite clear. So Max, uh, the hero, the eponymous hero of the first film, who was voiced by Patton Oswalt, who did, also did the voice of Remy the Rat in Ratatouille, by the way, and is very good at this kind of thing. Well, we, he, we, 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 we visit Max once again. Now, Max is enjoying his life. He's there. He's the only animal in the house. He's got uh, these two owners. Then, of course the dreaded child arrives. And there again is some lovely moments because we know how little kind of babies and very, very young children deal with dogs. They're pulling their tails, they're pulling their ears. But along comes a moment when the young child is about three when suddenly the child hugs the child, uh, hugs the dog, and then they become the best of friends. Mm. But the problem is that the dog gets really, really stressed out because, of course, children are just wild and crazy. And, of course, they, you know, they run out into the traffic and so the dog gets very, very, very stressed. And whilst they're on a family trip to the countryside, Max meets this farm dog named Rooster, who's actually voiced by Harrison Ford. And he tries to help him to overcome his fears and say, look, the child is fine. Don't worry about it. Just relax. So that's one story thread. There's another story thread too. Uh, the character of Gidget, this uh, beautiful little kind of white kind of um, uh, cat in the film. Uh, Max asks Gidget to look after his favorite toy. Unfortunately, she drops the toy into this apartment, which is uh, an old lady's apartment. She's got a hundred cats in there, and so therefore that storyline throughout the film is her trying to retrieve Max's favourite toy. The other storyline involves Kevin Hart, who plays this really, really cute kind of white little rabbit called Snowball. And he sets off on this mission to, fry, to free a white tiger from a, tur- from a circus, which is very, very odd. And it's almost like they didn't expect to get Kevin Hart. And the, the agreement with Kevin Hart is, OK, look, we'll give you basically your own storyline and you can go and do your own thing so that you'll be the star of that particular storyline. We'll have Harrison Ford and we'll have Patton Oswalt and the other one. And then, of course, we'd have the other snowball um, section as well. So that is very odd. So the narrative is all over the place as well as it and being... That, that, uh, I'm already getting confused with the three storylines. That's going to be very confusing for smaller kids. And that's the thing, yeah, that's the thing I found because it kept switching between all three storylines. So I'm thinking, well, what's this all about? So the narrative is all over the place and I, I think that's a bit of a shame. And, and because of that then, it's, uh, it's rather disappointing. There are some lovely, sweet kind of moments uh, throughout the film. Of course there are, as most of these kind of animated films are. And it is 
kind of very kind of warm and you feel warm watching it and 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 they're funny and they're sweet and they're lovely but at the same time again you hop back to that kind of first 20 minutes and you think that's what i want to see that's what i want i want animals to be animals and behaving like animals i don't want animals to be behaving like people and uh, and so in that sense then you get a bit disappointed like i was with the first film uh, but overall i think you know if you're a 10 under i think you're going to love this <laughs> and it'll make you smile that's for sure Okay, so The Secret Life of Pets 2, it's in the cinema market out of 10? I'll give it 6. 6 out of 10. Okay, and then for your DVD, you have selected Mary Queen of Scots. This came out last year. This is a period drama. It's Saoirse Ronan, yeah. Yeah. You haven't seen this? uh, No, I haven't, no. I I think you should see it. I think you will enjoy it very, very much indeed. Um, I uh, like this type. This is the kind of thing that appeals to me. Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it is a period. It's a kind of a historical drama. I mean, it's not perfect. I think there are times when it looks at history and decides, well, to pick and choose what it wants. And historians have gotten quite upset over some of it and because it's not really quite true to life. And basically what they've done is, okay, to make it as dramatic as possible, we just twist history. Now, I I know a lot of historical dramas do that and um, but well they have to to make it so we can we'll watch it well I think so yeah because yeah. we have no idea what people said to each other we have yeah. no idea in the privacy of their own homes poetic licence exa- well exactly yeah but there are times I think when it overstepped the mark I think. Yeah, okay. and it has done that in this film and I'll get to that in a minute um, first of all the, the, for, for me a criticism of the fil- first film is that at the start of the film is that the very very first shot of the film is basically the last shot of the film so we're very aware of what happens to Mary Stewart and that kind of sets up the in the film where you think well okay if that's what happens to her at the end of the film then why should we bother watching this so I think if they had taken that out I think it would, it would have been a lot more kind of dramatic and I thought that was a bit of a pity so basically it's about Mary Stewart the Mary Queen of Scots who is played here by Saoirse Ronan now she was Queen of France at 16 uh, her husband dies she's then widowed at 18 so she decides to, to, to come back to Scotland to reclaim her rightful throne as Mary Queen of Scots she does though but then she asserts that she wants her claim to the English throne uh, which, of course, uh, the, um, the the Queen at that time is Elizabeth I, her first cousin. And she then asserts her claim to that sovereignty as well. And she realises, of course, that if she does produce an heir, that heir then will become king or queen of uh, England and Scotland. So basically the film is about this kind of battle, this battle of kind of wills of these kind of two women in this masculine world. And so it's a very contemporary film in that sense. And it got a lot of criticism because of that as well very kind of modern look and kind of modern look at women and kind of a, in a men's kind of society and I was fine with that I have no problems with that at all the problem with that I had is um, and mainly it's that famous when what's become a kind of a very very kind of famous scene where the two women meet now I don't want to kind of give that as a spoiler. I think anybody who knows anything about the film will know that there was a lot of talk about it. The director and uh, Saoirse Ronan have spoken about it, where they felt as though they had to have a scene where these two women meet. But they actually never did. And history buffs say it never happened because mm. they only corresponded via letters. And it's not a great scene either because it, it, it's, it's great in the sense that the, the performances between these two women are terrific, but they seem to have filmed it in like a laundrette or something and there's sheets hanging down in front of them and they're kind of whispering to each other behind sheets. And you're just thinking, get rid of the sheets. Let's see these two fabulous actors at work here. And I think that was a bit of a pity. Um, certainly the film looks extraordinary. I mean, the cinematographer 
photographer is a guy by the name of John Matheson. He's done a beautiful job, and there's some terrific shots of um, of Saoirse Ronan on a horse with her uh, with her men um, kind of riding across Scottish glens. And so that's really, really beautiful to look at. And also, even then, when you've got the kind of claustrophobic kind of scenes, and a lot of scenes in these kind of movies, because they're historical dramas, are lit by candles. They, they, they tend to be very dark, but hit they're 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 lit very very well. The male performances aren't great in the film, and it, it, I got the impression that they were there simply because of the way they looked, ironically, you know, as opposed to there because uh, they were very good actors, and I thought that was a bit of a shame. David Tennant, though, does make an appearance and with, an, like? with an enormous beard, and he's extraordinary. I mean, he is, is really, really yeah. good. So you've got two fine, two very, very fine kind of female performances here and um, in this extraordinary film, uh, which is amazing to look at. At two hours long, it is quite uh, quite long and does get a bit dull and boring sometimes, but there's always the two women and their performances uh, to look forward to. What was Saoirse Ronan like? She was extraordinary. And as usual, of course, she gets the accent dead on perfect. Although, again, histor- historians say that she would not have had a Scots accent because she went to France when she was five and so yeah, she would have yeah. actually had a French accent. Yeah. So, again, the history of it, again, is kind of tweaked, uh, you know, uh, to make the film a little bit more Well, they dramatic. have her in this with a, with a strong Scottish accent? Uh, very much so, yeah. yeah. And but actually, it's her film. It's almost like the director felt, you know, I'm getting more from Saoirse Ronan. I want to see more of her, and I want to have her more on screen rather than seeing Elizabeth the first. And um, and I think that was a wise decision. I don't want to tell and give the impression that I didn't like any of it. I liked an awful lot of it. Um, and there's a lot to enjoy here, and I would certainly recommend it if you do love historical dramas. But just realise that a lot of what you're seeing may not have actually happened. Okay. All right. Mark that out of 10. I'll still give it seven. Seven. Seven out of 10. Okay. And that is Mary, Queen of Scots. And it's on uh, DVD and it is, uh, you can stream it as well. Okay. Thank you for that, Mark. Have a lovely week. Okay. And we'll talk to you again uh, next week. Thank you. That is Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. Now, Bo, oh, this is um for the listener who was on to us earlier. I can find out who this was. Now, if I can remember the name. Sheila. Sorry, Sheila. Oh, so many names I forget the ball. Sheila in Mallow was on to us earlier wondering if anybody knew anyone in the North Cork area that's organising a pilgrimage to Knock. We've had a couple of people on to say, Bo, we... Kiss Game annual pilgrimage to Knock is on Wednesday the 26th of June uh, 029-76116 if Sheila or anybody else is interested in booking 029-76116 that's Boherbui Kiss Game I had a couple of people in with that um, there's one in Kale Kill as well I just somebody has sent me a photocopy of this Kale Killer organising one on Saturday the 29th so there's two certainly from the area if uh, that's of uh, any use to uh, Sheila. Uh, 1850-333-103 John says Patricia I was on my way to Formoy from Ballyduff earlier and the council were removing signs after tiring the road but they never opened a drain that was blocked and a big pool of water was still there up to a half an hour ago says John who is not too pleased uh, with that There is a free singing for the brain workshop doesn't that sound terrific it's going to be held in the community room in the Riverview shopping centre in Bandon on Thursday next the 20th of June 
and it will run from three o'clock in the afternoon until half past four with tea and coffee. It's open to all singers um, and it's a way of providing people with dementia and Alzheimer's. It's a way of helping them to socialise with others along with their carers and friends and you can book your place by calling St. Michael's Centre in Bandon on 023 88 41681023884168 Now Nick Richards is turning up the feel good after one with these tunes That's Nick with Feel Good Friday next from one and then Martina picks it up from uh, four o'clock. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. As I say, Nick with you for the afternoon. We're back with you Monday morning at 10. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. Mm.